welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Testing one, two, testing. All right, it has been a long, long time since I've gotten behind a microphone and actually tried to put out a podcast. But before we get to that, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. Looking for a sewing machine that's both portable and powerful? Look no further than the legendary Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1. Take it to the marina, store it on your boat. The Ultrafeed goes where you go. This high-performing, heavy-duty machine sews both in zigzag and straight stitch. The Ultrafeed can handle your toughest jobs with absolutely zero loss of power or skip stitches. It breezes through up to 10 layers of Sunbrella canvas and 8 layers of Dacron sailcloth. With the most dependable all-metal internal components, the Ultrafeed is a piece of well-engineered machinery that's built to last. Sailrite has been building the Ultrafeed for over 20 years. This tried and true powerhouse machine comes with a five-year limited warranty and the best customer service in the industry. The machines are assembled, fine-tuned, and tested at Sailrite's manufacturing facility by a team of highly trained technicians. Every machine is calibrated and tested before it's shipped to guarantee both smooth operation and machine quality. Take your sewing skills to the next level with the Sailrite Ultrafeed LSZ-1 sewing machine. I got back from the summer sail, oh, geez, around the, um, around the middle of August. And I just have not had any time to do anything except catch up on things since then. So I'll let you know what's going on in my life. We got back from Spain, and I finally got the building permit to put up my... Nice big garage, 40 feet by 60 foot garage, 2,600 square foot garage that I'm building at the ranch. And then I had to go on a conference down to Las Vegas to go to a commercial unmanned aerial vehicle convention. I think it might be an opportunity for investing, so I wanted to go check out the trade show. I caught COVID. Hey, both my wife and I got vaccinated. We both caught COVID. Guess what? The vaccination doesn't work. Now I hear people tell me, so, well, if you hadn't gotten vaccinated, you would have died. And I say, right, just show me the science. Show me the science. Bottom line is, uh, everybody I know that's been vaccinated is catching COVID. So the vaccination does not seem to be working. Uh, I got over it. My wife's still fighting it. She's still got oxygen. But it took me about two weeks to get over it. And it was basically... Not as bad as a flu for me. I just felt um, a little feverish, what I call the creepy crawlies on my skin, and a little bit of fever, and just absolutely no energy. No energy at all. I'd just get up and I'd say, oh, I should go to the office. And, uh, of course, I wouldn't, but I just I would not have any energy. I wouldn't feel like watching TV. I wouldn't feel like reading. I wouldn't feel like listening to podcasts. I just did not have any motivation to do much of anything. Eventually, I got over it, back to normal. Now, I'm uh, organizing contractors to do the excavation at the ranch. We started that this week. Uh, I'm recording this on October 8th. 
and then it rained, so we had to shut it down. Also, the track hoe that was up there uh, to tear out trees and to dig the footings, it broke a track, so it's uh, dead until Monday for a week. He brought up his little track hoe, and we did the rest of the work with that of, of cutting down the trees that needed to come down to put the uh, structure up. So I've just been really busy. So I know you've had a lot of rewind episodes since I've been sailing. So this is going to be basically a monologue of the summer sail. All in all, it was probably the worst summer I've ever had in the Mediterranean. I knew it was going to be like that uh, before I left because I'm trying to move the boat as far through the Mediterranean as possible. I'm not sure exactly how many miles I went this summer. Let me hurry and do a quick Google track and give you an approximation of the number of miles that we did this summer. Okay, according to a rough track that I did on on Google Earth, it's about 2,002 nautical miles is the number of miles we sailed last last summer. And it was a lot of days of long, long days, and it was hot very little wind. I used uh, predict wind for my weather forecasting. It was really, really accurate. I paid for the three-month professional, or not the professional, but the 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 the, the um, I don't know what level it is, but it was ninety-nine dollars for three months. And then I got upset because after three months went by, they renewed it again, and I said, no, 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 no. I only wanted three months. That was my summer sailing season. I liked the product, except I did not like the automatic renewal of the subscription after the three months ended. I wrote them a letter, and they refunded it to me. But there is a lot of work that we did this summer, a lot of repairs, a lot of maintenance problems. That seemed like the whole summer was fixing something or another on the boat. When we launched the boat, we needed to paint the bottom. My my mentor, Mike Seedall, came over and joined me, along with his son, Nick, and then we sailed from Monfalcone, Italy, over to to uh, Umag in northern Croatia. Just went in there for a night and then checked out the next day and sailed on over to Venice and checked in. It was a real headache to check into Venice. It was hard to find a place to, the, the actual port, the port, not the port police, the frontier police or the whatever the policeman are that you check in with it was a bit of a headache they wanted me to quarantine for 14 days i argued with them they finally said okay okay because of course i i had flown into italy because i'd got the wonderful non-working vaccination so i was supposedly free to travel within italy but when i came over from croatia they said oh no no you gotta you've gotta quarantine and i said no me and all the crew members on the boat are vaccinated. We don't need to quarantine. And they finally agreed with me. Nick, Mike's son, got off in Venice. While in Venice, of course, we visited Murano and Burano Islands. And that's probably the last time I will sail my boat into the Venice Lagoon. It was it was fun. I like, I like that. That's really fun to sail your own boat into the Venice Lagoon. But... <laughs> <laughs> when we got there, I was always fixing stuff. Oh, let me let me list some of the things that I had to fix this summer, if I can even remember them. First of all, one of the big ones, and this is like the night before Neil Fletcher arrived. This was in Cephalu. 
I was working on the boat in northern Sicily. I have two bilge pumps on the boat, an electric bilge pump and a hand bilge pump, an Edson gallon-a-minute stroke, big bronze bilge pump, and both of them quit working, and I felt very uncomfortable going out to sea without a working bilge pump. The electric one, I thought for sure I had a spare on the boat. I couldn't find one, so I had to take out the bronze bilge pump. Now, I had had to take the bronze bilge pump out in Montenegro a few years earlier and fix a flapper valve, replace a flapper valve on this big bilge pump. And this thing must weigh about 60, 70 pounds, and you're always in a very awkward position trying to get it in and out of where it is mounted in the boat. Where it's mounted on the boat is in the engine compartment, way up on a shelf that I built on the port side of the boat. So I have to crawl into the engine compartment, contort myself, twist around, reach up and over this shelf and try to unloosen and try to loosen the screws, the nuts and bolts that hold it down and then take it out, undo the screws that hold it in the cockpit. And it's a lot easier with two people, but I was by myself doing this. I'll, I'll post a, a picture that I took on the boat of me taking this thing apart. Anyway, getting it out and getting it back in is, is 90% of the problem. What I learned from this experience was when I had to re- take it out and replace a flapper valve in Montenegro a couple years ago, I should have just replaced all of the rubber parts at the time because that should have been an indication to me that everything was going bad. I'd had to replace flapper valves in the past, but I'd never had to replace the bellows rubber. And that's what broke this time. The big bellows broke. It split down the middle. Fortunately, I have spares on board. I need to remember to order new spares to take over with me this year. But I had spares on board. And in the future, whenever I replace one rubber part on that bilge pump, I will replace all three. There's three. There's a uh, inlet flapper valve, the bellows, rubber, rubber, whatever you want to call it, the rubber bellows, which actually does a sucking. It's a very heavy rubber, um, sort of like a dome that goes down and up as you pump it. It goes down and expels air. You pull it back and it pulls in water. Um, and then the exit valve. So there's, there's the two valves, one inlet, one outlet. So in the future, I will replace all of them just so that I don't have to do this very often. I shouldn't have to do this more than once every probably 10 years. Um, but this was twice in about three years that I'd had to take it out. So that was a big project. I, before we put the boat in the water, we painted the bottom. We, I put in a new impeller and the saltwater pump. I had to buy a new dinghy. I had to buy new batteries. The, the batteries had been in the boat probably about eight years, and they were shot, and they were expensive. The <laughs> the German sailor next to me in the boatyard was telling me how cheap he got his batteries, and it turned out he was buying just automobile batteries and not deep cycle batteries. A whole world of difference between cheap truck batteries or automobile batteries versus the deep cycle batteries that you need on a boat for the storage of electricity. So I was sort of disappointed that he didn't even understand the difference between the two, but he was going for price. Um, And, of course, he has to change his batteries about every three years, 
where mine tend to last about five to eight years, if I'm lucky. Yeah, I had to buy a new dinghy. My old dinghy was pretty much falling apart. So I had to spend a lot of money, probably in the neighborhood of five, uh, five or six thousand dollars just to get the boat in the water. Where they had stored my boat in Monfalcone was under a cottonwood tree. And I am so glad that I had a full cover on my boat. The boat next to me, and remember, my boat's been out of the water for two years. So we've had two seasons of leaves and two seasons of cotton and two seasons of dirt accumulating on top of the boat. And I was so glad that I had a full cover over my boat. The boat next to me, a big, big German boat, I looked at the cockpit of his and it just looked like it was a ruined boat. It looked so bad with all the trash that had come off this tree and got in the cockpit and on the deck and stained, did a lot of staining. I was I was just glad that I had a full cover on my boat. So we basically worked on the boat for about five days, maybe six days. I rented a car. Glad I had a car to drive around in and pick up parts because the boat chandlery was not near the uh, marina. It was quite a ways away. So I had a car that we could go over and buy the batteries and bring them back to the boat, buy the dinghy and bring it back to the boat, buy all the miscellaneous stuff that I had to buy and bring it back to the boat. In Monfalcone, they've got a chandlery across the street, but it's not a very good chandlery. So we ended up having to go into town quite a bit to, uh, to get parts. Jason, my crew member who lives in Italy... He, he volunteered to sail. He, he reached out to me and said, I'm 20 years old. I work on an oyster farm. My mother's English. My father's Italian. I'm bilingual. I'd love to sail with you. And I said, okay, come join us. And he actually showed up at the uh, marina in Montfalcone and helped us paint the bottom of the boat. He wasn't going to get on the boat till Venice when Nick's son got off the boat. So my first crew was Nick and, and Mike. Then the next crew was Mike. Mike continues staying with me, and Jason. And we had um, a, a, long, a lot of long hauls. So from Monfalcone, we went to Umag, which was 26 nautical miles, then to Venice, which was 50 nautical miles, then Porto San Benedito de Tronto, which was an overnight sail of 186 miles, almost two full days. Then... On that leg, when we went from Venice to Porto San Benedito, I found out my uh, running light, my masthead light on my boat did not work. And, of course, we're sailing at night, and we decide we really can't do any night sailing until we get that fixed. Now, this light was put up in about 1990, so it's been up there for a long time. We pulled into Porto San Benedito, de Tronto and asked around for a, a light, no luck. Somebody said, well, you should go down to Pescara. We went to Pescara the next day, which was another 37 miles. And, and Jason, bless his heart, started talking to an Italian on the boat across from us and told him our problem. And he said, oh, I've got a friend that owns a chandlery here. Let me call him up. And we went up to that chandlery and he had the exact, well, not the exact part, but a, a a light that we could make work that fit, fit into the socket that we had at the top of the mast. And, of course, Jason, being a young kid, he's the one that went up and down the mast several times to put it up. 
When he pulled down the original light, it had been sheared off, and I have no idea how it sheared off. But we fixed it um, in Pescara, Italy. Then we sailed on down to the Trimiti Islands, which was another pretty much a, a, a not an overnight sail, but a sail of 70 miles. So we arrived in the, the islands probably around 1 in the morning. So it was a night anchor. Jesus came in and dropped our anchor. And the next day we were up again. Heading, to, heading toward Brindisi, which is 146 miles, then to Ortanto, which is 45 miles. Now, we are motoring all the time. The wind is very light, and the wind tended to be from our stern at about the same speed that we were motoring. So we'd have about a six-knot uh, tailwind, and we were going six knots, so there would not be any apparent wind. So it was hotter than hell. Along the way, we're having trouble starting the engine in the morning. I'm having to bleed the engine every day. We're getting a diesel leak on the engine. I have to replace the leather on the freshwater pump. Along the way, my saltwater pump on the engine starts leaking, so I have to replace that. Later on, the fan belts break. I have to replace those. There's two fan belts, one that goes to the water pump and then the other one that goes to the alternator the one that went to the alternator didn't break but it was getting pretty worn so i replaced both of those we kept fighting leaks in the fuel system and we were never able to to start the engine without having to bleed it before the engine would start so we were getting air into the injectors i was just interrupted i had a call from my engineer on the garage and I needed to take it. Now I can't remember where I was, where I left up, off at, but I'll continue on uh, from where I think I should start. But anyway, I had a lot of uh, mechanical problems this summer <sighs> and I was constantly fixing things. But yeah, we, we, fixed, the, uh, we fixed the masthead light, continued on uh, sailing from Pescara, the, to the Termiti Islands, which was another 70 miles. And then from the Termiti Islands, we, we just basically spent the night there, got up in the morning and, and headed on down to Brindisi. And that was about 146 nautical miles. And we spent three days in Brindisi. Then we did a day sail down to Ortanto, which was 45 miles south of Brindisi. Then a long-haul overnight sail to Rochella Ionica, down on the, uh, I guess, the... Uh, the foot of Italy, and then to Bova Marina, which is just across the uh, Straits of Messina. That was 30 mile, 39 miles from Rochelle Ionica. And then on to Terramina, where Etna erupted while we were there and got ash all over the boat. It happened twice while I was in Sicily. And cleaning up the ash on the boat literally is a day job to, to just wash off all the ash. Um, now you know why the, the towns look so so uh, sort of so dirty because it's always dealing with the ash. Spent a couple days in Terramina down to Catania. That's where Mike, who had been with me almost a month, got off the boat, and my family joined me. And I I met uh, a couple at the uh, marina where I was staying at in Catania that were actually listeners to the podcast. They said. They, they figured it out for themselves. They said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Salt Lake. They said, 
are you Franz? I said, yeah. I said, oh, we listened to your podcast. So we had a nice conversation. They were Americans, um, Italian and and American, uh, that lived in San Francisco and had bought their boat and planned on becoming full-time sailors and were on their first season in Italy. From Catania, the family joined me. We sailed from Catania just north a few miles because I was out of fuel. And, and believe it or not, in the huge harbor of Catania, there is no place to refuel your boat. So we had to go north. We left on a Sunday and went, no, we left on a Monday and went north about 10 miles to a little harbor. And I can't remember the name of it, but it had a fuel dock there. We pulled into the fuel dock and they told me, well, the fuel dock is closed on Monday because it's open all weekend. So we just tied up next to the fuel dock, got the okay from the port captain, and just waited till the next day because I was pretty much out of fuel. It was really, really sucking fumes at that point in time. And I had already emptied my spare five-gallon bucket of fuel into the tank, so I had no fuel. I had no no wiggle room. So we just waited until the next day when it opened up and we refueled. Then we sailed back up to Terramina where the family went up to the town. And we spent a couple more days in Terramina with the family. And then we did some big hops. We went from Terramina all the way over to the Aeolian Islands. So we went up the east coast of Sicily, up through the Straits of Messina, and then over to the island of Volcano. That was about a 77-mile run and spent a night in Volcano. It is so different than the last time I was in the Aeolian Islands. The whole Mediterranean has just become jam-packed with boats. And everybody's out there trying to live the dream and basically taking the dream away because there are so many of us uh, out there trying to find anchorages. It is crowded everywhere you go. It's really disappointing. And and then, of course, when you get to... um, well, when we got to to, Sicil, to Sardinia, when we got to Sardinia, of course, there are mega yachts everywhere, and there's more new mega yachts being built every day. It is just super crowded everywhere you sail right now. And I feel like I'm part of the problem by putting out this podcast and encouraging people to go out and live the dream. And basically what I'm doing, I think, is ruining the dream. Because... Well, number one, the marinas are full, uh, the anchorages are full, everything's full. It was crowded everywhere I went this summer, everywhere. Well, the family sailed with me. We spent a few days up in the Aeolian Islands with the other hordes of boats up in the Aeolian Islands. And then we went over to Cephalu on the north coast of Sicily. And we spent a couple days there. And that's where the family flew out. They flew out to the port at Palermo, or excuse me, not the port, the airport of Palermo. And then Neil Fletcher and one of his friends joined us in Cephalu for for a couple really big hops. The first big hop was from Sicily, Cephalu, Sicily, up to the island Usteca, which was 55 miles north. Now, this is an island that's kind of cool. Very few tourists visit this island. It's mostly a a tourist spot for Italians. It's a little volcanic island, and it's a lot of fun. We were able to rent some schooners. The weather was not 
cooperating with us. So we spent uh, two nights there, maybe three nights. I can't remember at this point in time. And we rented scooters and rode around the island. We had a great time in Ustica, U-S-T-I-C-A. And that's about 55 miles away from the north coast of Sicily or Cephalos, about 55 miles away from Cephalo. The next stop was Sardinia. And that was a a two-night sail about 188 miles away from Ustica. And then we went up the coast of Sicily. And then we sailed up the coast of Sardinia to a town called Spagia, spent two nights there. Neil had to get off the boat and get to a hotel because he had to uh, get his newspaper out. So he always likes to get off the boat and do the work that he needs to do to get his newspaper out. So I had a couple nights on the boat by myself. Uh, it was nice to have a couple nights out of the boat by myself after I'd been with people for so long. And Neil was happy to get off the boat and get away from me as well. Neil Fletcher, he's a contributing member of this podcast. And then we sailed from Spagia up to an anchorage just south of Porto Cervo, which is called Porto Paglia, P-A-G-L-I-A. And then the next day we just did a flyby of Porto Cervo and saw the mega yacht, so we're all anchored in there, and then sailed over to, well, we sailed around the north end of Sardinia and all the way to the west coast of Sardinia to the island of Fornelli, which is about 67 nautical miles. And then from Fornelli, we went down to Alghero, which is 37 nautical miles, and that was the hop-off spot for the sail over to... uh, Menorca. Now, at Alguero, Neil's friend got off the boat. So it was just Neil and I sailing the big hop from Alguero over to Menorca, which was 190 nautical miles. Along the way, we had a little bit of weather. Um, And of course, in the Mediterranean, you end up doing a lot of sail changes. I thought, oh, wow, we're going to have some great wind. We had wind for about a half an hour, then the wind came up too much, then I had to do another reef in the main and then it came up even more and I took the main down and that lasted for about an hour and then then there's no wind again and so you take down all the sails and motor again so we basically motored most of the way uh, from Ustica to Mahon Menorca. Now when I make my plans for the summer I have routes that I plan out and I have a schedule And in the schedule, I will put in weather days. But when the weather's good, I want to make time. So I don't wait. I don't (laughs) wait when I have a weather day built in to sit around to port when I don't need to. I always move when the weather's good to move. And that's sort of the problem because I tend to build in more weather days than I needed to. And that was the case this summer. We got to Menorca. Mahon Menorca and Neil got off the boat there and I couldn't really leave there because my next crew was going to join me in Menorca Mahon Menorca had I not ha- had I had a more flexible crew I would have continued on because as, as it turns out I spent like five days about five days or six days in Mahon Menorca I could have been happy spending two or maybe a maximum of three days there uh Time gets heavy on my on my mind. I don't like to sit in port. I'm not the kind of guy that's happy to sit at anchor for days on end. I know there are a lot of people like that. 
and I see them all the time. You see them in, a, in an anchorage, and they're there for a week. That's not my personality. I like to keep moving. And so I was stuck in Mahone, Menorca, a great place to be stuck in. If you're going to be stuck somewhere, that's a great place to be stuck in. They, that is one of the most expensive ports in the world. Uh, it's about 120 euros a night in the marina. There is one area that they allow you to anchor, but there's another area that everybody anchors, and then the, the port police come around and try to tell you to go. I got away with anchoring in this area and getting off the boat and not being on the boat when the port police came around. So I would come back, and my boat would be one of the two or three that was anchored in this area, where when I left, there was probably 20 or 30 anchored in this area. The port police came by and told everybody to move. What I found out, though, is that is an okay anchorage as long as all the marinas are full. So they basically are trying to force you to go pay for a marina instead of letting you anchor. But they will let you anchor in this area if all the, if all the marinas are full. And the marinas are expensive. So that was interesting. So in, if I went back to Menorca again, I would anchor and just stay off the boat <laughs> when the port police come by because they're not going to move your boat. Um, and the other area to anchor at is a long, long dinghy ride from the main part of town. So I didn't. it's a very protected area, but it's super crowded and everybody was bumping into each other. So... They need to do something in Mahon, Menorca to make more areas for anchoring. I doubt if they will, but that was my observation. A neat town. I like the town. My next crew, Dave and Craig. No, Dave and his son, Christopher. Dave and his son, Christopher, join me. Now, Dave Harris and I go back to grade school. We're old, old friends. And I, this was, I was so glad that I had Dave and Christopher on this leg of the trip because we continued to have um, mechanical problems. I want to back up a little bit. In Alguero, Sardinia, when Neil and I got ready to leave, I went down to bleed the engine, and the bleeder bolt broke. And it broke open. And I, could, I was able to start the engine, but it was running diesel fuel out of this bolt hole very, very fast. And that wasn't going to work. So I had to stop the engine, and I started going through all my spare parts. And I was, <laughs> one of the first things I pulled out was a spare banjo bolt, bleeder banjo bolt. So I had a spare banjo bolt, but it took about three hours to, to replace the old one. It, it was. It just did not line up with the hole. I won't go into the, all the details of what we had to do to finally get this banjo bolt in, but we got it in. I was just glad that we had this spare banjo bolt. I was still having leaking problems on the boat. Not by leaking problems, I mean diesel leak problems on the engine, not on the not water leak problems on the boat. But I just kept dealing with it. I kept cleaning out the engine pan every day, and most of the uh, most of the fluid in the engine pan was diesel fuel. Well, when Dave and Christopher arrived uh, on the boat, of course, I'm still having these diesel leaks in the fuel, fuel system. They look down there. We keep tightening up a fuel line that goes from the fuel filter up to the injector pump. And at the injector pump is where the bleeder valve, the bleeder bolt, the bleeder banjo bolt is. And at the other end of that... 
where it comes out of the fuel filter housing is where I kept getting leaks. And of course, I'd replaced the copper washers on that earlier that year. And I kept tightening and tightening and tightening on this. Eventually, I ended up stripping that. And this happened while we were just off the coast of uh, Spain near Cartagena. Uh, It broke and fuel was running out of there fast. We were able to limp into Cartagena. And we knew we were not going to go anywhere until we fixed this problem. So we stripped out the entire fuel system from the fuel pump to the injector pump. So there's a line that goes from the fuel pump to the fuel filter housing. Then from the fuel filter housing, there's another line that goes from there to the injector pump. And there's one, two, three, four banjo bolts in that full system. So we stripped out everything. We rented a car, drove up to Toro Viejo, where they had a Yanmar dealer. We ordered all the parts. And, of course, they don't have anything in stock. They said, oh, it's coming from, and I'm not sure where it was from. I think it was the Netherlands is where the parts were coming from. I said, oh, no, this is going to take a week. Well, they arrived the next day. So then we drove up the next day and picked them up. And we had it fixed the day after that. So we were actually in Cartagena probably for about four or five days uh, entirely. Christopher, who is a sharp kid and and he's got, he's small and he can get around the engine compartment. He's the one that stripped everything out and put everything back. And now we don't have any leaks. And I think we solved the fuel problem after Literally three years of having this fuel problem. The engine starts fine. I don't have to bleed it all the time. But somewhere between the fuel pump and the injector pump, there was a leak that was letting air into the fuel system. And uh, during the day, if I stopped the engine, I could always restart it. But if it sat overnight, the next morning I would have to bleed the engine to get it started, which is not safe, just not safe. But we finally fixed that problem pretty much Uh, the day before I put the boat up. So overall, it was a long, hot, frustrating summer with long legs, not much fun in between. And this summer was all about moving the boat through the Mediterranean. And next year, the plan is to get over on the boat. I've got a bunch of projects that I'm hoping the boatyard can take care of. And next year, Summer, I will go out and do the uh, the Atlantic Islands, Madeira, the Canaries, possibly take the boat down to the Cape Verde Islands. If I can find a marina in the Cape Verde Islands where I can pull the boat out of the water, because I'll be going over and going sailing in May, June, July, and then I'll want to pull the boat out and then go back in December and then probably do the Atlantic Crossing in, um, in January. I've been going on long enough, and this is going to be a frustrating podcast to edit. I may just leave all my mistakes in there and just get it out. Uh, I did get an email from one of my listeners saying I hadn't heard from me in a long time. In other words, they hadn't heard a new podcast from me in in quite a while. Wondered how I was doing. I'm doing fine. I just have so many things, so many things on my, too many things on my plate right now. Um, Also, I just filed my taxes today. I had to get those done as well. Um, Anyway, 
look forward to your thoughts. If you have any comments, please write me, Franz1, the number one, at medsailor.com, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. I always like getting notes from you guys. Take care. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. <laughs>